Welcome to the Castalia podcast. My name is Isla Ratcliffe, I'm a Scottish fiddle player, and I have just released my debut album, The Castalia. In this podcast, I interview musicians from Cape Breton, an island on the east coast of Canada with a rich traditional music culture, thanks to the many Scots who emigrated in the 18th and 19th centuries. I was very lucky to spend four months in Cape Breton, a life-changing experience that inspired my album. It is the people behind Cape Breton music who make it so special. This is why I have created this podcast, to give you the chance to meet them. I've always felt deeply connected to uh, Cape Breton fiddle music especially. It grabs a hold of you, there's something about it that draws you in. It's still probably my favourite music. Today I'm speaking to Kyle McNeil, who was my fiddle teacher at Cape Breton University. He taught me the tune Kilts on Fire, which I recorded on track 7 of my album. He is also a performer in his own right. I am a uh, fiddler violinist. I play with a band called the uh, Barrow McNeils. and. Uh, been playing since I was eight years old, and uh, I'm 20 now. No, not exactly. <laughs> but I've uh, been playing my whole life, and uh, I've studied uh, classical music as well as I've played traditional Cape Breton style fiddle for my whole life, really. And uh, heard it uh, growing up at home in Cape Breton, and that's about it. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm starting off each episode by asking four questions. So first of all, what is your favourite thing about Cape Breton music? I think my favourite thing about Cape Breton music is probably the soul of the music. I think uh, if I've been away for for some time, and, and most times it's not a very long period, but uh, I always feel that it, it grabs a hold of you. There's something about it that draws you in. It's something like a blues music, that's that sort of vibe that it has. But uh, I've always felt deeply connected to uh, Cape Breton fiddle music especially. It's still probably my favourite music. Lovely. And secondly, why do you play music? Why do I play music? Uh, well, first of all, um, it's for the love of it. It's something that I've always enjoyed doing. My mother's family were very musical. And uh, so I grew up, my mom played piano, she played violin, step dance, a very good step dancer, uh, Jean McNeil, by the way, is her name. And so at, at the age of eight years old, I uh, started taking an interest in guitar. Uh, mom was teaching me some chords and that. And, uh, and not long after that, uh, I took to the, uh, the violin. And uh, at first, first couple of years, my mom was teaching me uh, tunes by ear. And uh, I caught on uh, uh, quite fast. And uh, after after a few years, she wanted me to learn how to play slow airs. And the way she put it is, I want you to play slow airs like Winnie Chafe. <laughs> so uh, I started studying classical probably about nine or ten years old. But uh, we did work a lot on Scott Skinner stuff. And, uh, and of course, I did the uh, traditional stuff on the side. Mom's still teaching me tunes. And uh, by the time I reached... 10, 11 years old, I was I was on my own learning tunes off of cassettes. And, and do you know what a cassette is? <laughs> Vaguely. <laughs> I, th- I brought that up one day at CBU in the class. I said cassette and somebody said, what's that? 
<laughs> but anyway, um, but that's that's the main reason. It's just that we were surrounded by it. Uh, uh, growing up in Sydney Mines, we had a piano at the house, of course. So that's when fiddlers would come to town. They were obviously, uh, they was landed at our place and the music would go all evening, fiddle music. The Stubberts, uh, Brenda Stubberts' father, uh, Robert, and her uncle, uh, Lockie Stubbert, were, would come to the house all the time. And of course, our uncles, Carl McKenzie and Hector and Charlie. And so we, we've always had tunes growing up. Great. Well, we'll come on to touch on more about your life as a child growing up with music a bit later on. Um, but third question, what is your favorite musical memory? There's so many. I've, I've been thinking about this for a couple of days now, but uh, I, I have to say one of my favorite music, there's so many, but I'll, I, I do remember one. And it was a house party in Shetty Camp. Uh, it was myself, uh, J.P. Cormier, Brendan Mulvihill, uh, an Irish fiddler, and uh, uh, Jerry Holland. And uh, we played tunes all night long. And most of the night we were playing uh, as a foursome. Brendan Mulvihill had a great idea. He said, uh, uh, we should do an album. We'll call it The Big Fiddlers. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so many uh, uh, great memories. Music is, uh, has been very good to me my whole life. So it's uh, mm. just wonderful. I know it's a hard question. Certainly, if I was asked that question, I don't know. I don't know what I'd choose. <laughs> I'm challenging you. Great. And fourth question. This is also a difficult one. What is your favorite tune? That is a tough one, but I narrowed it down. Uh, I, I'd have to say Christy Campbell is uh, probably my mm. favorite. That's that was a very popular tune when I was growing up in the '70s, uh, '70s and the '80s. You play it with a raised bass tuning. Uh, high bass tuning or just playing it in uh, regular tuning but it's still I never get tired of playing that tune just there's so many mm. interesting actually because that was one of the first tunes that I heard in Cape Breton and just instantly fell in love with so yeah yeah, yeah very good yeah. tune <laughs> I, uh, originally the Gaelic song obviously there's so many depending on which part of the island you go to you'll hear different versions of it, uh, different uh, variations on it so great well I'd like to ask a bit more about how you started playing music. Um, you mentioned that it was very much part of your life at home as a child. Did your whole family play? Uh, yes, they did, as a matter of fact. Um, uh, Seamus is the oldest, uh, I'm the second oldest, but uh, Seamus and I started with violin first. Uh, we were taking lessons at the same time, and to this day, Seamus can pick up the fiddle once a year and play a blast of tunes like it's no problem at all. <laughs> wow. Paul, Paul Cranford wrote a tune for him. He called it the twice a year fiddler. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good tune. <laughs> As we got a little older, uh, of course, Seamus was studying piano all along too. So he, start, he started piano pretty young. It just was a natural thing. I, I played the fiddle and Seamus played the piano at the dances. But we started playing um, for square dances. Probably I was, my first dance was 13 years old. So started wow. quite young yeah yeah great and do you think that you thought at that age that you would go on to have a career as a professional musician i think by the time i was in my mid-teens i decided that that's what i wanted to do a lot of touring uh celtic bands came through uh Cape breton at the time the outdoor concert scene in Cape breton uh probably in the 70s and 80s was was a lot larger than it is now bigger population and not as many things distracting people away from uh, uh, to do other things. 
But uh, I just remember uh, touring groups. Um, I remember uh, there's a group from Scotland, Nahogany, I think that's what they're called. I don't okay. know if I'm pronouncing it right. But uh, back in the 70s, they were, uh, they were a trio, a Gaelic trio, and they came to Cape Breton and performed at the Highland Village in Iona. And it was like the hill was full of people who came to see them. Other bands like uh, uh, Ryan's Fancy, who were uh, three Irishmen who uh, moved to Canada sometime in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, and uh, they formed a, uh, a, an Irish folk band. So folk music was still, uh, the Irish folk and Scottish folk thing was pretty big in uh, the Maritimes at that time. But that was a big influence. After hearing all these, these bands and these touring bands, I, I, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And you mentioned that you're, you've got classical training on violin. How do you think that influences your fiddle playing? It's interesting because um, my teacher, Professor James MacDonald, uh, and the late Professor James MacDonald in North Sydney, uh, he was a marvelous uh, violinist in his day. Uh, he always said that one helps the other. Classical helps the Cape Breton, and the uh, Cape Breton fiddling helps the classical. I think as far as the uh, the classical music goes, Cape Breton music helped me with my bowing, and my bow arm seemed to be a lot uh, more flexible compared to classical players. And but, but on the other hand, the classical music taught me the technique of how to get sound out of the instrument and just just the physics of the whole thing and how to make it easier to play. And it's just one helps the other. It's just so many things you can go into. I could sit down and play it for hours <laughs> and, 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 and pull out some examples. It's interesting because, I mean, it's something that we've got in common. I'm also classically trained originally and then moved to the dark side, started playing fiddle. <laughs> oh, that right? Well, I played the dark side first. Oh. <laughs> But, you know, uh, and I always try to use it in, in the class, in my classes, mm. uh, and even teaching one-on-one. -on -one, uh, you, you, you have students that uh, everybody plays a little different. Their hands are shaped differently. The, and especially with adults, uh, as we get, we get older, we have more problems, arthritis. And so you always have to come up with different ways to hold your hand and, uh, and figure out how to get around on the instrument. But I found that classical music uh, has given me... Uh, a different way of looking at Cape Breton fiddle music and, and how to teach people to play and how to get around all the problems mm, and how yeah. to become a better player, really. Yeah, absolutely. And is it common for Cape Breton fiddle players to have classical training? Um, no, not at all, actually. There has been uh, uh, Cape Breton fiddlers who took a few lessons on the side. Dwayne Cote, he, uh, there was another teacher in Sydney, Pat, Pat Cormier, uh, he was a, 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 a brilliant violinist, and Dwayne took lessons from him for quite some time. Other than that, not really. I guess if they wanted to learn to read or different bowing things. I remember my teacher, uh, Professor uh, McDonald, he told me one day that uh, Winston Fitzgerald came for lessons, uh, Scotty Fitzgerald, and uh, and he wanted to work on his bowing. And, uh, of course, he was self-taught, but he was the way that he could uh, hear and see music was... Uh, was beyond. He said to me, I said, I, I couldn't do anything with that bow arm. He said he had a good bow arm. But uh, <laughs> he mentioned to me that uh, if Winston had the training from a, a young age, he could have been like the next uh, Fritz Chrysler or somebody like that. But, wow, but uh, interesting. Winston, Winston loved to play classical music. He played uh, Sean Ro Rosemarin and pieces like that. And, okay. yeah. Music but is now music. <laughs> it is. Music is music. And yeah, I always think like I wish there was less of a distinction between classical and fiddle. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it's the same instrument. 
Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah. So, could you tell us a bit more about your band, the Barry McNeils? How did that form? Well, um, we started out uh, well as a duo, my Seamus and myself, playing for uh, local concerts, uh, square dances mainly. So, the majority of my life, I was a, a square dance player. Actually, the first when I first started playing dances, thirteen, fourteen years old. I had to get enough reels, uh, jigs and reels to make it through the whole night. As you know, uh, in Sydney, the, the set, there's three figures to a set. First set is jigs, the second and the third set is reels. So I went through all the cassettes and all the records that I could find and learned as many sets of tunes as I could possibly find. And then when I went to play my first dance over in Inverness, it's the, uh, the well, Inverness, Cape Breton, it's the, it's the opposite. The first two sets are jigs, and the last set is is reels. <laughs> so I had all kinds of reels, but I had to go learn this huge amount of jigs to go play over in Inverness. But uh, we started off like that. Uh, Stuart joined us uh, a little later on, and uh, we had singers f- coming and going. But once Stuart started playing, we we started to do. Uh, we had a trio, and uh, uh, we started to, to to incorporate some songs. Some instrumentals. Uh, Stuart was writing a bit at the time, uh, writing some tunes, and uh, so uh, in 1986 we uh, recorded our first uh, uh, LP, our first record. That's the marking point, I guess, of our, our professional career. Prior to that, we played as a trio, and and uh, not too long after 1986, um, uh, Lucy joined the uh, started traveling with us, uh, playing boron and. Of course, fiddle is her instrument and the fine step dancer and singing. As we moved along, generation by generation, that joined the band. Uh, we have two younger brothers, uh, Ryan and uh, Boyd, and uh, there's a little gap between Lucy and uh, the two youngest brothers. They started playing with us uh, not too long ago, actually. But uh, at the moment, Ryan is uh, married and living in uh, South Africa. He married a, a Highland dancer from South Africa. so. So he's there and he's playing music, but uh, we've been uh, recording since 1986. I don't know exactly how many recordings we have to date. We've we've tour, toured all around the world and uh, we continue to tour across Canada. Well, I still remember coming to see you in St. John in, that was at the end of my time in Canada. And yeah, that was a fantastic gig. I should have got good. you up to play. I was thinking that. Oh. I should have got you up to play. <laughs> No, no, I enjoyed listening. Oh, that <laughs> night off. <laughs> so, do you miss the snow? Um, do I miss the snow a wee bit? Okay. A wee bit. Oh, you were here before the winter really kicked in, though. You left yeah. at Christmas time. Yeah, I left yeah. just before it got yeah really. You were heavy. smart. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. was. No, I got a good variety of seasons. Was there for the end of summer and then the lovely fall colours and then just the start of winter. So Yeah, yeah, it's a good time to yeah. come. And you must be asked this a lot, but what's it like to play in a band with your family members? With a family on the road or uh, working together, or any family business really, you always have your fights. Brothers and sisters fight, that's a natural thing. And uh, you know, you're able to walk away from it and you put it aside, you forget about it. But if you were working in a company or playing in a band with people from different areas, different interests, most of the time, like if you get a band that stays together like that for three or four years, they're doing doing well. But 
it's easier to settle your differences in a family organization compared to people that are, aren't related. And uh, with the family band, with the Barrow McNeils, we, uh, we all have the same interests. Um, we all have something to offer to the, the music. And, uh, and I think that's what keeps it going. Mm, yeah. And musically as well, because you've been playing together for so long, that is surely a benefit. Definitely a benefit. Um, we've seen a, a lot of bands come and go. And uh, from our professional days, from the time we had a, a, a major uh, record label, a lot of the bands that played at that time are, are no longer playing. And we're still still out there slugging it out. Mm. And, uh, and of course, as you know, the uh, music industry has changed so much, the recording industry, since the 1986. And uh, we've uh, been through it all and uh, still, still trying to figure it out, but uh, uh, we're still here. And so can you tell listeners what instruments you've got in the band? Um, Seamus plays, uh, his main instrument is uh, piano, but he did study uh, pipe organ at university. Uh, Seamus plays violin. Uh, he plays a bit of viola and vocals, of course. Uh, I play um, violin as my, uh, my main instrument, but I sing, I play mandolin, I play guitar. Stuart plays uh, piano as his main instrument. He studied piano at university. Stuart is piano, uh, accordion, piano accordion. Um, he plays whistles, he plays the uh, wooden flute and, uh, and vocals. Uh, Lucy vocals, uh, uh, violin is her main instrument, and she plays uh, the Klarsek, the Celtic harp, and um, step dances. Boyd, uh, multi-instrumentalist, plays uh, violins, his main instrument, vocals. Octave mandolin, or most people call it the uh, bazooki, but it's really an octave mandolin. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, guitar, and when Ryan is around, uh, Ryan plays the, uh, uh, the Irish pipes, Piano is his main instrument, and uh, piano, and he's quite the uh, composer also. So, but uh, so maybe once every two years when he comes home, he'll go out and do a few shows with us. So, mm. yeah, I remember I met him. He was at the Blue Mist uh, one week. We played some oh, that's, together. Oh, yes, that's yeah. That's the last time yeah. he was home. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, the last time. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, have you had some live stream gigs? Oh, uh, we have. Uh, have you done any yourself? Yes, no. you did one in. What was the one you did for uh, Scottish Festival in Ontario? I just saw it online. Oh, yes. Goderich Festival. Yep. Okay, but that was pre-recorded? Pre-recorded, yeah. Yeah. We've, we've done pre-recorded shows and we've done live. It's a lot of work just for one show, like one half hour stint or an hour or whatever. But our experience has been pretty good with it. Uh, we're lucky here in Sydney in uh, Cape Breton. Uh, there are a lot of uh, folks who are very good at it. Uh, Darcy Campbell for the, the filming and uh, a lot of talented people uh, in that field. But uh, we did one for uh, um, an alumni gig for uh, Mount Allison University. And the day after we did it, everything got shut down again. So oh, I think no. it was like the third wave. So oh, just no. got it in, but that's what you're, that's what you're up against. And the yeah. same thing, the East Coast Music Awards uh, were streamed. And part of it was in Sydney, and the part that they wanted, we uh, there was a crew of us doing a tribute to uh, Rita McNeil, who passed away several years ago, eight years ago, I think, to be exact. Anyway, uh, it had to be done in Halifax, but every week the rules were changing. It's on, it's off, it's on, it's off. So, and, and of course, Nightmare. when you're tra traveling, there's you go to Halifax, and it's like a, a ghost town. Nobody's out around. There's no restaurants open and everything, but... 
it's a tough way to do a gig, really. And then to act like people are actually sitting in the room and trying to get feedback, and you're acting like you're getting the feedback from the public, but uh, it is what it is. You got to do you got to do what you whatever's available to you right now. Yeah, no, totally. I remember thinking so many times over the past year and a half that you know we train to be a musician and to play our instrument, and yet. Well, in normal times, there's so many other things that you have to do as well. And especially now, you know, you're having to be a camera person and do lots of video editing and just all these additional skills. It's, it's <laughs> a lot of work. And block the windows for the lighting. And... <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. That's, it's funny. It's, it's all the things you learn, but they don't teach you in a music course in university. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's the real world. Well, it is. It is. Well, speaking of music courses, we of course met when I was studying at Cape Breton University, where you teach the course on the Cape Breton fiddle style. Mm -hmm. um, how long have you been teaching at CBU? Oh, it's got to be getting close. It has to be 20 years anyway. Well, I certainly really enjoyed the course. I learned a lot from it, specifically about like, you know, obviously I've got my own fiddle style and there's loads mm -hmm. of different fiddle styles within Scotland. So it was just really interesting to learn more about the Cape Breton fiddle style. So how would you explain what the Cape Breton fiddle style is? What makes it unique? I think what makes um, the uh, Cape Breton fiddle style so unique, and I've had this uh, conversation with uh, Alan McDonald, uh, the piper from, from Glenuig, the McDonald brothers. And he brought up a, a very interesting uh, um, comment. He said, Cape Breton music is, uh, we play it in the form of Porsche Bale, where we're playing, um, we're learning by ear, you know, the same kind of way that the, the, the Gaelic language was learned, I suppose, passed down from, from one, to the one generation to the next. And, uh, you know, I think... Uh, that kind of thing makes it unique, but there's also several. We have the uh, the Scottish, uh, the Gaelic influence is very big, but you also have uh, other influences like the uh, the Irish influence. Because uh, where we grew up in, in on the north side, not only did we have all the fiddlers and uh, the uh, Scottish community in Sydney Mines, but we also had the Irish community, the uh, Johnny Wilmot, uh, Joe Confiant, uh, and the Stubbards. Robert, especially, uh, uh, Brenda's father, Robert Stubber, was a big influence as far as the Irish music that we play. But, you know, it, it's the blending of all those styles that makes its Cape Breton music so unique. Piping, the piping was a, had a big influence uh, on the uh, Cape Breton music. And the other thing is that in the 50s, uh, I don't know, maybe I don't know the exact date, when people uh, migrated from Cape Breton down to places like Boston, they used to call it the Boston States. <laughs> Boston was the closest. <laughs> but uh, uh, Boston and Detroit was another area where uh, Cape Bretoners went to work. And, uh, and of course, they're coming back from the States and bringing back influences from uh, different tradition, traditional uh, music. So it, it, there's so many things that blend together to form what it is today. But... Uh, I, I think mainly it's the uh, it's the the laid back feel of the of the style. As you know, Strats bays our Strats bays are totally different than the way you would play them, mm. and uh, not that one is right or wrong. Uh, and when you come to Cape Breton, 
depending on what part of the island you're 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 in, you can say, oh, that player is from Inverness, or he's Victoria County, or he's from Sydney Mines. You you can hear the differences if you're if you're from here. But uh, the, so many things that blend together that make it so unique. There's the, the uh, ornamentation. Uh, a lot of it is derived from the the pipe music and uh, Porsche Bale. There's the uh, a lot of different influences. Um, another aspect of Cape Breton fiddling during the uh, the First and Second World War, when Cape Bretoners went to Scotland, they started bringing back the collections of music, the Athol collection, the Sky collection, and there's another big influence on the music, the tunes that they they took home with them from overseas. There's so much you could talk about, but. Uh, but it is a very unique fiddling music, and no, no matter where you go in the world, if you're going to a festival, uh, regardless if you're from Inverness or Sydney Mines, when you play, people recognize right away that that's Cape Breton fiddling. Mm. Yeah, certainly. I think there were a few things that instantly struck me about it. One, of course, is the relationship with the dance. And so, of course, you know, in the bowing patterns, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's very much about making sure that the beat is definitely there. Yeah, and um, I, I played dance music my whole life, and of course, my mother being a step dancer, I, I played for her. And uh, tempo was very important. It's it's funny, I'm listening right now. Um, a friend of mine, uh, David Gillis from the Marguerite area, he gave he digitized a bunch of old uh, cassettes and reel to reels of my uncle Carl playing, and uh, he's playing with uh, these are from the '50s and the '60s, and and good quality recordings actually. He's playing with uh, my cousin Gordon McLean, and he's playing with Marie McClellan, and uh, Marie is a piano player, Gordon's a piano player, and, and he's playing with Doug McPhee, also another piano mm-hmm. player. But the thing I noticed compared to the, today, the tempo is much faster, and not that the tape is spe- sped up or anything, the, the pitch is dead on A440, so um, it's not that the, you know what happens when you record it over and over again, the pitch goes crazy and the speed. But uh, I noticed that the uh, the tempo is faster. The style of playing it sounds a little different than today. A lot more grace notes, a lot more bowing, and uh, technically sounds sounds different. But I, I guess if you compare any generation of music, you'll hear the differences and the uh, and uh, all the progressions that uh, happened over the years. But uh, so many things. And like, of course, you know, you mentioned that you can tell if a fiddle player is from Inverness or Marguerite or Mabu or wherever. So is it actually possible to say that there's one Cape Breton fiddle style or are there actually several? I think there's several. And the other thing I I didn't mention is the Mi'kmaq. And you got a chance Mm -hmm. to hear Morgan Tony, who comes from a fiddling background and uh, his uncles played and uh, his family played. And you got people like uh, Wilfred Prosper, like Wilfred Prosper could play Scott Skinner, like, oh my God, he was such a beautiful slow air player. The music is in- influenced through their culture, and uh, it, it's all very interesting. Everybody can have their own little little piece of it and uh, their own particular style. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I remember in class you talking about, obviously, the Scottish and Gaelic influence, but then, as you say, also Irish, Mi'kmaq, and Acadian. Yes, the Acadian, big part. Like... Um, her grandmother is uh, was Acadian, DeVoe, and mm. uh, she uh, was she was born in Cranberry Point in Sydney Mines. Uh, it was a coal mine there. Of course, a lot of people came over to work in the coal mines. Her father was killed in the mine when she was five years old. She moved to uh, Washabuck, 
It's, yeah. it's in the Barra Strait there where all the uh, people from Barra uh, settled. And her first language was Gaelic, but mm. she had a French background. And and one thing my mother always said that the uh, that she always thought that the French had such a big influence on the step dancing. And though I know that there's a lot of uh, there was a lot of step dancing in Scotland at one time, um, and uh, whether it was brought over or not, I have no idea. Every particular culture had their own style of step dancing, especially the Acadians, and uh, so there's an influence there also. Mm. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. I must admit that when I, and I feel ashamed to admit this now, but when I first went to Cape Breton, I knew very little about Cape Breton music and traditional culture. I knew that fiddle and piano, Gaelic language, step dance. And that was about as much as I knew. And then, you know, I arrived there and of course you realize, well, there's all these other influences that have affected the music and the culture, yeah, so. Exactly. And I know that years ago they used to call it the uh, the festivals. They call it like the, the Cape Breton Scottish fiddling, and now they just mm. narrowed it down to the, the Cape Breton fiddling, which mm. makes sense to me because it's it's a blending of so many different things. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you heard me play um, in our classes and in the final exam at the end of term. <laughs> what was there? In I know it's a while ago now, and also my playing has changed a bit since then. Um, but what did you notice in my playing that was either different or similar to Cape Breton fiddling? First of all, I thought it was very good playing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and, and it's funny, even today, um, Caleb, he comes mm. for lessons the odd time, and uh, your name comes up all the, all the time. Aww. And you see the way that she did this and how she did that. And it thinks more, now that they're playing longer and they, they can make the comparison and they get it now, eh? See the way that she was doing it, and uh, what what did I notice? I think the the main thing is just the precision to playing, uh, attention to detail, ornamentation, uh, very good ear, Thank <laughs> and you. Uh, and tone, and just the quality of a player was. I, I, that's what I noticed right away. Of course, you, you were so much more advanced than the other students. You're a, a music student, but uh, yeah, I just noticed the quality of playing and. Uh, very, I enjoyed it. I thought you were a oh. great player. You still are. Thank you very much. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know that certainly I found um, the bowing was the main thing for me that was so different because I had always been taught. I was at CBU in my second year of my master's at the conservatoire. Mm -hmm. um, and I had always been taught up until that point and since um, that, you know, you should always vary your bowing um, never do the same style twice mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. be quite kind of um, spontaneous with like oh okay I'll throw in a slur here or this bit yeah. will be separate um, yeah. and so that was Improvise. the main thing yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and then to kind of strip all that away and think no okay the beat is the most important and a lot more separate bows I found quite difficult to change to well when I was teaching, well, in the class, when I teach, I'll give them an example of, of uh, a bowling style or whatever. But when I play it, I play like the way that you're actually saying. I never oh, play the okay. same bowlings twice. And I've always, uh, I say that to my students, but uh, when they're starting out, you're trying to give them examples of, and uh, I should have been clearer for you. <laughs> but, but, no, you no, know, I wanted a, to try it. It's a feel thing. And... Uh, and uh, I never play the same bowling twice. And uh, 
hooked one line into the next, uh, uh, double pushes, all that kind of stuff. Mm. But uh, yeah, I, I highly encourage uh, my students to, to uh, experiment and, uh, and, and feel the music and come up with uh, different sounds. And uh, it's funny, uh, Winston uh, probably never played a tune exactly the same every time. He uh, improvised on, on it, and, and Carl did the same thing, and the older fiddlers did that. But I find that uh, the fiddlers today, the younger fiddlers, are uh, very regimented in how they how they bow and uh, and very strict in how they play their music, and not enough of uh, improvising and changing up their bowings. And, and of course, you know uh, from studying violin that uh, the bow is, is your voice. It's how you express your music, the uh, the the louds and the softs and music, and it's so funny. I, I'm an adjudicator here for the music, uh, uh, the classical music fiddle. It's very simple. Music goes up, music get, notes go up, music gets louder, notes go down, music gets lower. That's just simple things, how it, yeah. but it's a feel thing. And uh, and the other thing I noticed is your bow, uh, the way you grip your bow was very similar to mine, mm. and the, but your name comes up all the time with uh, Caleb. And I said, remember what she was doing? Yeah, I know. Now I know what she was doing. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> Aw, say hi to Little did you me. know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Just to backtrack a wee bit, um, when we were talking about your band, can you tell listeners why you're called the Barra McNeils? Because obviously listeners in Scotland will know Barra as an island off the west coast of Scotland. Well, our ancestors, our McNeils, and uh, well, even some of the the Mackenzies, most of the, uh, they came from the Isle of Barra, and uh, the exact date I'm not exactly sure, but there's lots of uh, documentation in certain books around uh, Cape Breton, and you can actually trace it to the exact family when they came and and so on, but um, they all settled in uh, central Cape Breton on the Bedour Lakes, most of the area. It was given names like the uh, Iona. Uh, the body of water there is the Barra Strait. Uh, there's there's a um, a little place there called Barra Glen where a lot of our uh, distant relatives settled when they first came over. All McNeils, and uh, so in that in that particular area, especially in the graveyard in Iona, it's all McNeil, 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 McNeil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, but our gra- our mother, who's Mackenzie. <laughs> Um, when we were started playing, she was saying, you need a name for the band. And she said, why don't you call it the Barra McNeils? And, you know, and uh, that's, that's where we come up with the name. And it's just because of where our, our people came from. And have you been to Barra in Scotland? We've been there once, uh, 1988, mm-hmm. and we're due to go back. Oh, Landed great. on the sandy beach. It was, it was beautiful. Oh, yes. <laughs> the, Unfortunately, the most when, beautiful airport in the world. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, like we've been over to Scotland touring a, a lot since in the last 25, 30 years, but uh, they never ever get you get you a tour out on the West. Or you go to Sky, mm. or you go to the uh, the Gala College there. And uh, but you know if, if you go go to if you want to go to Barra, you have to pretty well do it on your own. But they don't need that space in there. We've always told them to leave a space. We don't want to go there. But uh, so I've only been there once. But we'll be back. Yeah, you must have so many stories of being on the road with the Barra McNeils over 20 years or so, you said. Well, our first our first tour, we did a, an exchange trip with a group from uh, Scotland. Uh, the band was called Highland Connection. Duncan Chisholm. Everybody knows Duncan Chisholm. 
He was only a, a he was a young guy at the time, barely uh, a, maybe in his late teens, and uh, so that's that's how we got to to know Duncan and work with him. And uh, but uh, all kinds of great stories. Uh, who was uh, uh, Duncan McGillivray Piper? I haven't seen him in years, but uh, I think he still plays. But uh, but anyway, uh, we uh, yeah we had a great time. They came over here to Cape Breton, toured all summer, and then we went over there for a couple of weeks and toured up in the Highlands and out on the West a bit. And uh, but exchange tunes. It's it's funny on on those trips. I learned a lot of tunes just by going into the sessions totally different tunes in the sessions and then by the end of the two weeks i had all their session tunes down pretty well <laughs> playing every night and and uh, great but uh that was a great trip yeah i actually played a gig last week my first gig in 17 months um opening for duncan chisholm and i'm pretty sure he mentioned that exchange with you oh is that right <laughs> one of my favorite players i i do have to say well you must be keen to get out on the road again whenever that's possible Looking forward to it, but I'm getting lazy <laughs> as far as playing. Well, it's funny. I was talking yesterday, a friend of mine, uh, Ryan J. McNeil, a fabulous piper, and he said that there's, you just don't have the uh, things to, uh, uh, the goals as far as like you have a gig next week or you're going to practice for this. Like to sit home and practice, you don't have the, the get up and go to, to do that now. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's time to get back out and get at it. So. Yeah. Know, it's the same as when you're teaching students and they can be closet fiddlers their whole life, but sooner or later you got to move out of the house and go play somewhere. <laughs> yes, no, true. Yeah, very true. And it's, it's the same for us, mm. the adults to professionals to get it back at it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure listeners will want to hear your music now. Um, where can they find out more about you and your work and listen to your CDs? I think the best place is to check out um, uh, our website, uh, barrymcneils.com. And um, you can also reach us to uh, info at barrymcneils. You can, you can hear us on uh, Apple Music or any of those uh, social things, those things. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so check it. And we're on YouTube. We're everywhere. So. But uh, if it's uh, depending, each album is a little different. Uh, if it's more of instrumental music, we have a, an album we call the the uh, traditional album. We call recorded way back, and it's all instrumental music. And we have some other stuff that's probably a little bit more modern sounding. And you can hear from '86 uh, all the way through to the last couple of years how the uh, progression of the music has come and uh, it's come for full circle now, I suppose. But uh, anyway. <laughs> I'd certainly recommend it. One of my many good memories from being in Cape Breton was uh, driving in the car with Carol and Mario on the way to um, some tunes at Otis Thomas's and listening to one of your Christmas albums. And I just oh, remember sitting in the back of the car, looking out and there were these big trees next to the road and there were stars in the sky and it was snowing and it was just lovely. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a picture. Next time you'll have to play with it on stage. Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for giving up your time. Um, and also, I meant to say, you'll be pleased to know that one of the tunes that you taught us, I have recorded on my album. Um, oh, yes, which one? Kil Kilts on Fire, Brenda Stubborn oh, and really? McDonald. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's yep. a great tune. Yeah. Such a good tune. So thank you for teaching me it. <laughs> oh, Brenda's one of my favorites uh, composer. Mm. I, don't, if, I don't know if you have her books or not, but she's, she's quite a player and a composer. Hope, hopefully we'll get back to normal very soon and that uh, music will be a part of everybody's life. Again, once again, wish everybody the best and hang in there. It's uh, brighter days ahead. There are, yep. Music will keep us going. That's right, exactly. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, Kyle. It's been lovely chatting to you. Thanks, Isla. Big thanks to Kyle for taking the time to chat to me about his life as a Cape Breton musician. And of course, a big thanks to you for being with us. You can find Kyle's music at barramcneils.com. If you would like to buy my album, The Castalia, it is available on Bandcamp or at my website, islaratcliffe.com. See you next time. Thank you.